the partition of India and Pakistan has been a much talked about event and uh, there have been too many books written on this subject. Today I'm not going to talk about history or any non-fiction work on this but rather a novel which is based around that time. It's called Train to Pakistan and it was written by Kushwant Singh. So let me just read first couple of pages from this novel and which really set the stage of this novel. This will just describe the settings of the novel and nothing much. Won't give you any clue about the story. And uh, I'm sure you won't mind that. So let's start. The summer of 1947 was not like other Indian summers. Even the weather had a different feel in India that year. It was hotter than usual and drier and dustier. And the summer was longer. No one could remember when the monsoon had been so late. For weeks, the sparse clouds cast only shadows. There was no rain. People began to say that God was punishing them for their sins. Some of them had good reason to feel that they had sinned. The summer before, communal riots precipitated by reports of the proposed division of the country into a Hindu India and a Muslim Pakistan had broken out in Calcutta and within a few months the death toll had mounted to several thousand. Muslims said the Hindus had planned and started the killing. According to the Hindus, the Muslims were to blame. The fact is, both sides killed, both shot and stabbed and speared and clubbed, both tortured, both raped. From Calcutta, the riots spread north and east and west. To Noakhali in East Bengal where Muslims massacred Hindus, to Bihar where Hindus massacred Muslims, Mullahs roamed the Punjab and frontier province with boxes of human skulls said to be those of Muslims killed in Bihar. Hundreds of thousands of Hindus and Sikhs who had lived for centuries on the northwest frontier abandoned their homes and fled towards the protection of the predominantly Sikh and Hindu communities in the east. They travelled on foot in bullock carts, crammed into lorries, clinging to the sides and roofs of trains. Along the way, at fords, at crossroads, at railroad stations, they collided with panicky swarms of Muslims fleeing to safety in the west. The riots had become a rout. By the summer of 1947, when the creation of the new state of Pakistan was formally announced, 10 million people, Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs, were in flight. By the time the monsoon broke, almost a million of them were dead. And all of northern India was in arms, in terror or in hiding. The only remaining oases of peace were a scatter of little villages lost in the remote reaches of the frontier. One of these villages was Manomajra. Manomajra is a tiny place. It has only three brick buildings, one of which is the home of the moneylender Lala Ramlal. The other two are the Sikh temple and the mosque. The three 
brick buildings enclose a triangular common with a large peepal tree in the middle. The rest of the village is a cluster of flat-roofed mud huts and low-walled courtyards which front on narrow lanes that radiate from the center. Soon the lanes dwindle into footpaths and get lost in the surrounding fields. At the western end of the village there is a pond ringed round by kikar trees. There are only about 70 families in Manumajra and Lala Ramlal's is the only Hindu family. The others are Sikhs or Muslims, about equal in number. The Sikhs own all the land around the village. The Muslims are tenants and share the tilling with the owners. There are a few families of sweepers whose religion is uncertain. The Muslims claim them as their own, yet when American missionaries visit Manumajra, the sweepers wear khaki, sola topis and join their women folk in singing hymns to the accompaniment of a harmonium. Sometimes they visit the Sikh temple too, but there is one object that all Manumajras, even Lala Ramlal, venerate. This is a three-foot slab of sandstone that stands upright under a kikar tree beside the pond. It is the local deity, the Deo to which all the villagers, Hindu, Sikh, Muslim or pseudo-Christians repair secretly whenever they are in a special need of blessing. Although Manumajra is said to be on the banks of the Satluj river, it is actually half a mile away from it. In India, villages cannot afford to be too close to the banks of rivers. Rivers change their moods with the seasons and alter their courses without warning. The Satluj is the largest river in the Punjab. After the monsoons, its waters rise and spread across its vast sandy bed, lapping high up the mud embankments on either side. It becomes an expanse of muddy turbulence more than a mile in breadth. When the flood subsides, the river breaks up into a thousand shallow streams that wind sluggishly between little marshy islands. About a mile north of Manumajra, the Satluj is spanned by a railroad bridge. It is a magnificent bridge. Its 18 enormous spans sweep like waves from one pier to another and at each end of it there is a stone embankment to buttress the railway line. On the eastern end, the embankment extends all the way to the village railroad station. Manomajra has always been known for its railway station. Since the bridge has only one track, the station has several sidings where less important trains can wait to make way for the more important. This, a small colony of shopkeepers and hawkers has grown up around the station to supply travelers with food, bitter leaves, cigarettes, tea, biscuits and sweetmeats. This gives the station an appearance of constant activity and its staff a somewhat exaggerated sense of importance. Actually, the station master himself sells tickets through the pigeonhole in his office collects them at the exit beside the door and sends and receives messages over the telegraph ticker on the table. When there are people to notice him, he, came, he comes out on the platform and waves a green flag for trains which do not stop. 
is only assist and manipulates the levers in the glass cabin on the platform which control the signals on either side and helps shunting engines by changing hand points on the tracks to get them onto the sidings. In the evenings, he lights the long line of lamps on the platform. He takes heavy aluminium lamps to the signals and sticks them in the clamps behind the red and green glass. In the mornings, he brings them back and puts out the lights on the platform. Not many trains stop at Manomajra. Express trains do not stop at all. Of the many slow passenger trains, only two, one from Delhi to Lahore in the mornings and the other from Lahore to Delhi in the evenings, are scheduled to stop for a few minutes. The others stop only when they are held up. The only regular customers are the goods trains. Although Manu Majra seldom has any goods to send or receive, its station sidings are usually occupied by long rows of wagons, each passing goods. Train spends hours shedding wagons and collecting others. After dark, when the countryside is steeped in silence, the whistling and puffing of engines, the banging of buffers and the clanking of iron couplings can be heard all through the night. All this has made Manu Majra very conscious of trains. Before daybreak, the mail train rushes through on its way to Lahore and as it approaches the bridge, the driver invariably blows two long blasts on the whistle. In an instant, all Manu Majra comes awake. Crows begin to caw in the kikar trees, bats fly back in long silent relays and begin to quarrel for their perches in the people. The mullah at the mosque knows that it is time for the morning prayer. He has a quick wash, stands facing west towards Mecca and with his fingers in his ears cries in long sonorous notes, Allahu Akbar. The priest at the Sikh temple lies in bed till the mullah has called. Then he too gets up, draws a bucket of water from the well in the temple courtyard, pours it over himself and intones his prayer in monotonous sing-song to the sound of splashing water. By the time 10.30 morning passenger train from Delhi comes in. Life in Manomajra has settled down to its dull daily routine. Men are in the fields, women are busy with their daily chores, children are out grazing cattle by the river. Persian wheels squeak and groan as bullocks go round and round, prodded on by curses and the jabs of gods in their hindquarters. Sparrows fly about the roofs, trailing straw in their beaks. Pie dogs seek the shade of the long mud walls. Bats settle their arguments, folding their wings and suspend themselves in sleep. As the midday express goes by, Manu Majra stops to rest. Men and children come home for dinner and the siesta hour. When they have eaten, the men gather in the shade of the people tree and sit on the wooden platforms and talk and doze. Boys ride their buffaloes into the pond, jump off their backs and splash about in the muddy water. Girls play under the trees. Women rub clarified butter into each other's hair, pick lice from the children's heads and discuss births, marriages and deaths. Even the evening passenger from Lahore comes in 
everyone gets to work again. The cattle are rounded up and driven back home to be milked and locked in for the night. The women cook the evening meal. Then the families foregather on their rooftops where most of them sleep during the summer. Sitting on their chapais, they eat their supper of vegetables and chapatis and sip hot creamy milk out of large copper tumblers and idle away the time until the signal for sleep. When the good strain steams in, they say to each other, there is the good strain. It is like saying good night. The mullah again calls the faithful to prayer by shouting at the top of his voice, God is great. The faithful nod their amens from their rooftops. The Sikh priest murmurs the evening prayer to a semicircle of drowsy old men and women. Crows caw softly from the kikar trees, little bats go flitting about in the dusk and large ones soar with slow graceful sweeps. The good strain takes a long time at the station, with the engine running up and down, the sidings exchanging wagons. By the time it leaves, the children are asleep. The older people wait for its rumble over the bridge to lull them to slumber. Then life in Manumajra is stilled. Save for the dogs barking at the trains that pass in the night. It had always been so, until the summer of 1947.